Welcome to episode number 51 of the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I appreciate you tuning in today. I'm going to call this the winter edition of Bike Talk as we get to dive into the frigid world of Arctic travel with someone I met on the chairlift during our recent trip to Colorado. You never know. Annabelle Santeri, what caught my attention was when she used the words North Pole during her elevator speech about what she does. We connected on Instagram where I discovered her active life of extreme sports, skiing, Arctic expedition training, rock climbing, and of course, a little mountain biking. I couldn't help myself. I had to ask her onto the podcast and talk about her interesting life. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. But before we get there, I need to welcome Bike Rags Apparel as a sponsor of Bike Talk with Dave. Tony at Bike Rags is helping make sure we continue this little conversational adventure for another whole year. Bike Rags is an apparel company located in Iowa, but serving all of North America with promotional materials, cycling jerseys, shorts, koozies, hats, t-shirts, anything you need for your team, group, or event. In fact, they're doing our hats. If you want to get in on the first order of Bike Talk hats, we're doing both dad hats and black beanies, both embroidered with the lovely Bike Talk with Dave logo. Shoot me a note on Facebook or Instagram and just look for Bike Talk with Dave. I'll tell you how to uh, get your name in for one. Anyway, back to bike rags. They have low minimum orders on all kinds of stuff, great prices, and they do exceptional work, whether they're screen printing, embroidering, or sublimation. Be sure and contact Morgan at Bike Rags and tell her you heard about them here. Just click on bikeragsapparel.com. Now let's get to the show. My conversation with skier, guide, mountain biker, rock climber, Annabelle Santeri. Ah, bonjour, ça va? Ça va très bien, et vous? Ah, très bien, très bien. Uh, I meant to get this in French. Uh, welcome uh, to, I don't know, you say it. Tell me, tell me, welcome to Bike Talk with Dave in French. Bienvenue au podcast Bike Talk with Dave. Um, oh, c'est très beau matin. <laughs> <laughs> merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. That's what I was going to say is merci pour uh, échapper avec moi sur Bike Talk with Dave. Yes. You're not far. Is that correct? You're not missing. I we understand, but okay. <laughs> we can work not, on not that well. after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, well, I would like to welcome you officially in English to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, your name is Annabelle Santerre. Am I getting that correct? Yes, Annabelle Santerre. Santerre. You say that better than I do, actually. Um, and where are you from? Tell me exactly where you like where you are, where you grew up, and where you live now. Yes. So I'm from Canada, from the French part, so Quebec City, and uh, so this is where the French accent comes from. But I do speak uh, quite good English now. Very proud of it. <laughs> you speak. And... You speak better English. And I speak French, I will tell you that. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and 
Um, since I practice a lot of sport, I've moved to the west part of Canada, so Whistler and Revelstoke. And this year, I decided to join um, the American side. So I live in Colorado right now, in Breckenridge. Ah, very cool, very cool. Très bien, très bien. So uh, I have to tell people why, how we met. Um, we just happened to hop on a chairlift together, and I noticed your snow pants have a skull and a heart and a star on them and i thought that was pretty darn cool and i could tell you are a park rider we were definitely on the we were on the woodward express at copper mountain which takes people to the top of uh uh well now the or maybe this weekend the peace park at woodward in colorado so we got to talk park because i'm basically a park rat even though i'm a thousand years old You do have um, the energy. But the story, I do have energy, and I do like playing on skis. And my uh, kid, my youngest, is, um, I wouldn't call him a park rat, but he sure likes hitting the jumps and uh, sliding the rails. And um, if he lived in Colorado, he would definitely be a park rat. But um, so I like playing with him. And I do my old guy, spread eagle jump, and uh, try to mix in some. I don't know. I'm trying to get like a tail grab and I come up with a new name for whatever jump I'm going to do every time. And my son rolls his eyes. But anyway, I'm trying to stay young <laughs> on skis. That's the um, spirit. That's so, <laughs> so we I could tell you had an accent. And uh, as we were introducing ourselves, you asked where I was from. And I said, Des Moines. And you said, I mean, you just had a blank look in your face. You're like, I don't know Des Moines. When I, I have to tell this story and I think you'll get a kick out of it. When I was a little kid, I don't know, maybe 10, we would go to Canada and do, my dad's best friend had a cottage just north of Kingston, Ontario. And so we would go spend the summer there and we would boat on the Redu Canal between Kingston and Ottawa. And we were at Smith's Falls, Ontario, and my sister and I were at the beach at Smith's Falls, just hanging out in an evening. And some little French kid my age were introducing ourselves. And he said, where are you from? And I said, Des Moines. And he's like, I don't know where that is. And I was like, Iowa? Still nothing. Chicago? Yes, I know Chicago. <laughs> okay, so I live in Chicago, even though I am not near Chicago. But uh, <laughs> when we introduced, you did not know where Des Moines was. But Uh, anyway, I thought that yeah. was kind of funny. So it must be common <laughs> to not know where Des Moines is in uh, eastern Canada. Uh, yeah, we were in Ontario, which about <laughs> I haven't heard that name before. <laughs> I do know the states, uh, well, but <laughs> you do know the states. Well, that's probably better than I. I don't know if I could name all of the Canadian provinces, but anyway, we don't need to go into to that. Too much further, but I got a kick out of that, and you reminded me of my childhood when I was in Smith's Falls, Ontario. <laughs> um, so I, I want to tell people also why you're here, not just because you're a park rat. Um, is that is that an insult or a compliment? I see it as um as a compliment. It's through the years, I think park rat definition has changed so much, especially since um, slope style which is riding mm -hmm. jumps and rail, has gone to the Olympics. So mm -hmm. I feel like there's a 
straight definition of before Olympics, it was a bit more street style. So it would be associated with partying and being a bit more outcast. And now Mm -hmm. with the Olympics, being a park rat is actually being technical and spending all your days trying to land tricks. And the party side is a bit erased. I mean, it's still definitely there. We're having a lot of fun, but it's a bit more um, squared, I feel. Serious. You're you're actually training when you're doing laps in the park. You're working on a new trick. Yeah, there is a kind of an ultimate goal. There was always the World Cups before, but the Olympic just stands as such such a big prize, such something to look towards to. For sure, for sure. Do you have your eye on the Olympics someday? No, I am I am more of a coach because the Olympics now when I was growing up, um you had chance to go in your 20s and late 20s. But now mm-hmm. the kids start so young and have access to airbags. So when you take the jumps and you have basically not a lot of chance on getting hurt because you will land on the airbag that mimics like six feet of powder. So it's very safe, mm. very fun. So it's a, it's a different, the era is changing. So mm-hmm. I will be the coach and let people enjoy that for themselves. Uh, <laughs> très bien, très bien. So let's get into who the heck you are. I want to just read. I, I looked. I went on your website, AnnabelleCentere.com, and uh, you have a list of things that you have done, is what I'm going to say. And it, yes. it begins with um, a Canadian Conservation Corps Winter Training Course, the Women in the Arctic Expedition Coordinator, Alaska Ski Mountaineering Guide, Extreme Polar Training Expedition, Wilderness Navigation, Avalanche Safety, Wilderness First Aid. And then you go down a little bit and you've got your skiing in there almost as a like uh, addendum. Ski Acrobats, National Ski Coach, Moguls, Slope Style, Jumps, Park. Uh, plus, I mean, you're a freaking rock climber and mountain biker. Mountain biker allows me to have you on <laughs> Bike Talk with Dave. Um, <laughs> well, holy cow. How old are you? I just turned 24 now. You have done a lifetime of, you have a lifetime of experiences at the age of 24. How the heck did you get into all of that? Um, <laughs> I love that question because I ask myself that often. Um, <laughs> as, your, as your toes are falling, freezing, falling off? Yeah, when, every time I come back from a trip, I'm like, did I really just do that? Did I even have fun? Yeah, I did. Because <laughs> it's often second type fun, right? Where sure. over an hour, when you do either a polar training or some really difficult outdoor activity, there might be only a 10 minutes out of that hour where you're actually being like, whoa, that is so fun. That is why I did it. So sometimes it's fun. It's even more fun after the trip. So. Sure. <laughs> I can relate to that. Um, yeah. How did you get started in all this frozen winter craziness? Yes. So I started by, my parkour was I started skiing at the age of 14, 15. So quite late. And I directly became a park rat. <laughs> as you right say. away you did? 
Yes, it just feels like an instant reward. You learn the trick, oh, makes you feel good. So then you want to learn more. Mm -hmm. And also there's a big community. So you make friends. And when you travel around um, with internet and social media, you already know people because the support is so great across country. So it's very easy to enjoy yourself and move to Colorado and already know a few people out there. Mm. So it's a, it's a very great sport to practice for sure. And so my story is I started doing that. And then um, a common injury in skiers is the ACL from the knee. So it's the ligament that kind of um, prevents the torsion in the knee and makes it stable. So I was in Whistler at the age of 18 and there was this big jump that is a 60 footer. So that means Ooh. that when you go from the jump to the landing, there is 60 foot in between. So I flew off that jump for a long period of time and landed in the parking lot of the resort. So what happened when you land way too far is you blew your ACL. <laughs> oh my. I mean, yes. hopefully you live. Like if you overshoot it that far and you're landing on the flat, that's like being dropped out of a six-story building. Yes, it was extremely scary for me and the people who were watching. <laughs> um, I got lucky in my bad luck, so I only got an ACL and a little tweak in my hip, but then they just replaced it. They're very good in Whistler. I think they're used to people um, having one brain cell sometimes when it comes to jumps. <laughs> Fair enough. So, they probably yeah, have, they fixed like, me up. That's probably a mag magnet place for orthopedic surgeons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yep. I mean, you get so excited with the beautiful installation they've got. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, so you you didn't just launch a 60-footer. You overlaunched a 60-footer. Yes, I went to the moon and back, for sure. Yeah, you did. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. So that stopped my competitioning um, mm. in the ski world because it took two years for me to come back. But during that two years, that is when I started all of those other winter stuff. So the Alaska Ski Mountaineering, um, getting my Polar Guide certification. Because since my knee could not have torsion, I thought, wait, I could walk straight. So instead of skiing, I would put, like skiing down, I would put skis under my feet and ski straight. So okay. I started going up to islands under the North Pole and just... Just going from one point to another, doing stuff that felt as gnarly to me as hitting jumps. So it was kind of a, a healing process for me. So that's why I did so much. I was just like, I have, I have two years to spare. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> huh? Uh, what was your first trip like? Oh, <laughs> my first trip was Alaska. So I went up to Ains, which is. Um, a very small part of Alaska, and it has beautiful glaciers, a lot of, um, of peaks to do. So we went for 12 days and tried to hit seven to eight peaks, depending on the weather. And since my training was going from the top of the lift to rails to down, um, my cardio was extremely weak. But I had confidence in myself. I thought I, I wasn't very good. Turns out I would throw up my weight through every peak every day. <laughs> But even though I was the slowest out of a group of 10, I loved it so much. And 
that's when I tried to go up to the Arctic, so Nunavut in Canada, and do an even like harder trip, get sponsors and make it very hard for me. Because I thought, if that was hard, maybe I could train this time. <laughs> I could put a bigger effort. And be ready for it. Yes. So I, yeah. I didn't go down. I went up because I thought I, thought I could do it. Hmm. And I did. Very cool. <laughs> um, I was going to ask next, like, what did you learn? Obviously, you, you learned that cardio fitness is important. But what are the, some of the other things that you've come away with um, from your trips up north? What, like, what are three important things for you the, that, uh, that you've learned up there in the cold Arctic? Mm-hmm. I've learned so many things. It's such a crazy environment, beautiful Arctic desert. And I've learned that the team cohesion, it always comes down to that. So no matter what happens, you need to be on point with your teammates because things can change in a matter of five minutes and it changed so importantly that you got to be able to re- to rely on everyone and set up a tent in an instant or I don't know sometimes apothermia gets to you in such a matter of a short time that you need help basically and it's okay to need help a, blist- a blister can take you out on an expedition if anything just because um, it wasn't well taken care of and you're scared to say to your teammate, hey, I've got a blister and I kind of want to stop for two hours. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to let yourself be humbled <laughs> and just say when you have a problem and yeah, the, the more friends you've got, the best, the best it's going to be for sure during your expeditions. So let me ask you this. I've seen video of um, during your expeditions or your training uh, floating in a sea of ice in a survival suit. The survival suit would be great to have on when you fall in frozen Arctic water, but how do you know you're going to fall in in order to be wearing it in the first place? Like, how do you know to put that thing on? That is a beautiful question. It's so interesting because you are not safe even though you have this dry suit. So a dry suit is to prevent any water coming in. They are all custom-made so they can fit over the thousand layers you've got because it's, I don't know, in Fahrenheit, but it's minus 40, minus 45 when we go in March. So you do want that because if you do get water, then it's a very major risk. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. the interesting part about those suits is when you actually go in the water... The water, since it's unfrozen, it's at zero degrees. So it's 45 degrees warmer than what you're experiencing outside. So it kind of feels like a hot tub. And to answer your question of when do you put it on? Well, the training we offer up in Nunavut, so the islands just under the North Pole, is actually to um, make you learn to swim with those. So then when you go to the North Pole, where there's a lot of open waters. So open waters are when um, the ice, the currents under the ice is so strong that it opens the ice and let a bit of water out. And then the water freezes and it opens up somewhere else. So it's very hard to see where it's going to open. So sometimes you might just have it on or you'll be able to see 
that oh over there it's opening so i'm gonna put it on and i'm gonna traverse that water before it's too it's too open because hmm. sometimes it will be open for a kilometer or miles so you can't it will stop your trip for a whole day so you gotta cross if you want to make it to to your final destination where the plane will pick you up so it's a matter of um you got to do it <laughs> so you <laughs> right right but you just you have to time it correctly right? exactly so it's not like you're you're not surprised by thin ice you you're walking on solid ice and then you can see that there's a an opening and you're like we have to cross this opening so we'll put on the suits exactly. and make it across when it's 10 feet wide not a kilometer wide yes yes and there's a lot of degrees of ice so we do train you to see what's safe or not and a very interesting thing is dogs they will just know about it they're very very good so the dog will kind of go see put his paw and be like yeah that's good <laughs> so it's a very big help but you don't always have dogs but when you do it makes it way easier to test eyes and because they do have that instinct that sometimes is better than than our thinking <laughs> yeah huh interesting so um have you been to the north pole I have not been to the North Pole, which is interesting because I do give the lessons. <laughs> but I give them yes, you do. with Sarah, Sarah McNair-Landry, where she is a, a polar guide, and she is the youngest person to have ever crossed the North Pole at the age of wow. 17, which is an 80-day trip. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, wow. How, like, what are the logistics of a trip like that? If you, like, do you leave from solid land or do you have a boat or an airplane take you up to a polar ice cap and then make the trip so when you do the practice so on baffin island which is um an island in Nunavut, one of the biggest one closer to um the other provinces in canada this one you take a flight from ottawa and it's actually not pricey the arctic can be achieved without thousands of dollars which I personally thought when I started that I would be paying a lot of money to get those courses. But it's more, it's on the pricier side, but it's more affordable than we think. And then once you've done hmm. the courses to make you feel good and be prepared, then you can go to the North Pole if you'd like. And then you would go uh, either by plane, and then the plane lands when the weather is right. You do your trip, and the plane will pick you up Um, at the last, at the at the uh, at the zero place. So when you have achieved the top, the top, yes, and the top always moves. So it's quite interesting. You're you're there, and then because the 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 ice, I'm missing some of the lingo in English. But when it moves, it always moves. So it's hard to actually achieve the middle. But then the plane will come get you. And something to think about is that. If the weather is bad, the plane cannot come. So sometimes it can take a week before they come catch you. So you got to be careful with your food. But the polk you have behind you, so the polk is like a little sled with all your, your stuff, your food, your, your tent, etc., um, weighs around 400 pounds, can be more. So you don't want to put six days more of food 
it's not very nice to <laughs> you already have so much. Right. So it's a very big choices to make before your 80-day trip. And when that happens, you have to rationalize your food and rely on the decision you took before your trip on whether you take the risk of you might stay there for a week or longer or or you try and rationalize the last week the more you think the more you can and do bird food <laughs> trail right, mix the, right, the, right, everything right. yeah you either carry the weight and have plenty of food or you don't you carry less weight but you might have bird food <laughs> exactly and and something to think about right now about the North Pole in five years, nobody have gone for um, a ski touring expedition. So the the ones we're teaching, so where you really go unsupported, no motors, you just go from point A to point B. Because it's of climate change, it's melting so much that the open water we were talking about, where you need a dry suit, you would basically need a little kayak or a canoe right now because it's melting wow. so, so bad. So uh, something to think about, but it has been done in other um, other style of expedition. There's people who are always there and stuff, but um, yeah, it's super sad. Very, very uh, high opening huh. for sure. So what are the what are what would you say are the three biggest challenges when you head up north, Baffin Island, Nanavuk? Um, what are what are some of the three biggest threats, biggest dangers? as you head up yeah. into the Arctic? That's a very good question because the beauty of the Arctic is that the dangers are so peculiar that there's not a lot, but they're very, very imminent and very dangerous. So so there's not, so yeah, very, so it's easy to focus on them. So I would say there's definitely the wildlife. So in the Arctic where we go, it's the polar bears. And it's kind of about it. There's foxes hmm. that could take your food, but we're not too worried about that. It's very polar bears. Um, hmm. So the polar bears where we go, they're not they're not there during that season, but they could get lost and end up where we are. So a polar bear will go where food is. So it will hmm, it sure. will be against um, open waters where you can get fishes, seal, etc. And we try to aim to be away of that water because when you train people and there's like polar bears, it kind of takes away from the other learning because you get into a scary mode. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Yes, Survival. Exactly. But polar bears are a very curious creature and it's it's not always a threat. They are also living their life. It's, it's their habitat. You are the invite. You're the guest, so sometimes they won't even bother with you. You just hmm. both both parties are hanging. <laughs> so I would right, say that's right. to think about. Second would be hypothermia because it comes very quick. So something to think about is that you cannot sweat when you're in the Arctic. So if you sweat through your layers, instant ice. So if you have if you sweat from your back, your bike's now icy. And it won't dry, except if in the tent you take off your base layer and hang it around against the, the little um, burners we have. But it's not mm. very 
convenient because you will still spend most of your day with ice on your back. So sometimes it will be minus 45 and I'm in a t-shirt in the Arctic. You got to surf on that line of warm and cold. So it's very, um, mm. very hard to manage at first. That's what I found. But your body, as soon as, soon as you listen, it makes sense. And it's uh, nobody can really make you learn it. It's kind of just like a, you take your time and you do it. You got to go. <laughs> so there's definitely some stuff that can kill you up there. What is the draw? What what makes you you have a a, a trip um, training program we could talk about in a minute in March of this year. What are you looking forward to as you get ready for that trip? There's a so those trips are in my opinion very well made because it's your first experience. So this trip we're talking about an introduction to the Arctic, so how to go back just by yourself or with friends and do an expedition for maybe five days to two weeks to a month. So we teach you that base to kind of see what you like. So it's, um, there's less, there's less at stake. People are there to learn. People are excited. So we take six people and we teach them to, um, to be able to do those expeditions by themselves. So it's five days inside and half the days are inside, outside. So it's kind of, you you are eased in. So you can always okay. warm up. You can sweat by, we don't recommend sweating once again, but you can, because you only will be spending half a day uh, in the Arctic cold. And then we sent you um, in the four or five days expedition. And we actually leave you there. <laughs> oh, wow. We say bye. So, and the thinking behind that is that we will be there the first two days of the expedition, but if you really want to be able to go by yourself, you actually got to be by yourself. So we're not far, but we're yeah. not there. <laughs> yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Why would somebody want to go up north? Yeah, so people are looking forward to different goals. We got a lot of people who are um, ice students or ice scientists, so studying the ice. Oh. So most of them have already gone to Baffin Island or other islands around Nunavut area. And so they know a bit about the thin ice, so the ice we were talking about earlier for the swimming and everything. But they haven't had the training of how to actually get to that ice. So they will go by car or by snowmobiles. But us, we go by walking and sleeping on the ice. So it's a very interesting part of their jobs. And another type of people we have is the people who are just extremely curious and kind of saw us on social media and thought that Arctic was a place kind of inaccessible. But then a lot of Canadian people just don't know how close it is to their home and that a flight is less than a thousand dollars. So it's kind of just telling them that and saying, do you want to come discover a new place in your own country? So there's a tourist part of of the expedition as well flight to where where would somebody fly to to launch off on a two-week ski expedition in northern canada in the arctic circle so all the flight leaves from ottawa so no matter where you are um you gotta go up to ottawa or Settil, 
but that's a bit more secluded. So you fly to Ottawa, and then Ottawa takes you up to Iqaluit. So Iqaluit is the main city up in Nunavut in the province. And from Iqaluit, you can access all the island by plane, or you can go to a different community by snowmobile. But that's the only two ways of transportation um, during winter, since it's uh, it's very uh, harsh conditions. But um, we do our trips in Iqaluit, so that way you fly in and we start. Super simple. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first time I went, there was a big lizard and it almost um, couldn't make it to the trip because it was days and another day of waiting. And I was very bummed, but sometimes Mother Nature decides for you. <laughs> uh, it sounds very similar to... Uh, Western Alaska, um, Nome, and the villages west of west of the Alaska Range, uh, which are connected by snowmobile trails um, and airplane. I mean, really, that's how people get around. It obviously used to be dogs, and that's how the Iditarod dog sled race came to be, is in celebration of um, transportation by dogs by dog sled, but. Um, It sounds very similar to that, where the villages are remote, but they are still connected via um, trails or or bush plains. Is that, am I accurate in that? Yeah, I would say definitely, exactly. It's when you have small communities all around and uh, kind of very remote, which is the beauty of it that you can only access by Um, inner plants or snowmobiles. Oh, you're right about the dogs. And most of people have their dog team up in uh, in Inkelwit, so they can get around very easily. And then in the summer, you can either put them on the island so they can live freely, or you mm-hmm. you go feed them every two days with big seals that you hunt in the in the summer mm. or winter. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Uh, we go and buy a bag of dog food. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and feed our dogs that way. Okay. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, um, it's uh, First Nation based, so they have beautiful, beautiful um, traditions. So seals are one of them, and it's about hunting seals, going with family, and then you exploit everything. You 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 use everything of the seal. So there's always a lot of art. Um, so beautiful mittens or um, just art displayed around town with a seal. So it's such a cultural experience, for sure, to be able to kind of have one foot in the nation and also respect. It's very nice. It's very spiritual, very uh, all in the balance of what Mother Nature is giving to you and what you got to give back. Very uh, different from the people of the South which is what they call us <laughs> in Quebec. Uh, in Quebec, uh, you are the people of the South? Yes, but it's still minus 30 in the winter. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a little uh, um, perspective-oriented, for sure. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, you must think we live in the tropics here in, uh, in the Midwest or in yes, Colorado. Yes, definitely. Well, I think that, not about the tropics, but um, since I moved to Colorado here... It's such a good weather to ski on. You're not throwing your toes off every time you go skiing. <laughs> For sure. It's not icy. It's a very nice minus five degrees. 
Love it. It is. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, that's why so many people go there. So I want to transition a little mm-hmm. bit to your summer. Uh, talk a little bit about mountain biking. But before that, you're also a rock climber and it looks like a pretty BA rock climber. Do you know what BA is? BA. Mm. Oh, I think I do. Can I say it? <laughs> yes, you can say it. Yeah. You, say it. you look like a total badass rock climber. Thank you. Is that something you got into when you moved out west or when you were in Quebec? Are there places to climb? There's beautiful places to climb in eastern Canada. But if you want to go to the gnarly stuff, it's all in the west for sure. The big peaks mm. and everything. So my story of how I got introduced is when I first started my trips in Alaska. Um, I wasn't speaking English at all. But I was doing the the peaks during the two weeks, and I met a guy over there, (laughs) and he was a rock climber. So I didn't understand most of what he said, (laughs) but I was like, "I'll climb." (laughs) So so we we moved out west and enjoy ourselves, and then we went down to Utah where he lived, and he introduced me to rock climbing, and I was like, "Wow, that's." An incredible sport. It makes you go to places like, uh, around mountains that you wouldn't think of going. And it's a beautiful access to a new community and ways to make friends. So I feel like for the social, those parts so like biking, rock climbing, skiing are the best. So I moved later on to Revelstock, which is six hours from Vancouver. It's a beautiful place and they're rock climbing there. If you can access, please go and ask your local where to go. They'll take you. They're very nice, but so worth it. So nice. I, I was going to ask if you had a favorite place to climb, and it sounds like Revelstoke is it. I do enjoy Revelstoke because it's, it's so easy access. So you could walk for, depending on where you want to go, but only for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and you'll get to an amazing view and an amazing wall. I'm not saying I'm one of the best rock climbers at all, but I will go every day. <laughs> so I will enjoy myself and try and go to the the nicest places where it's my level um, accessible and yeah, enjoy. <laughs> what uh, what level are you climbing at? Um, I'd say because my main sport is skiing. Mm-hmm. And the summer sports, I do coach skateboarding too. So my time is separated between sports. I would say I'm 5, 11, somewhere in there. Maybe okay. more on the 11 A's. Not a, mm, it all depends, right? So sometimes you sure. are better with slabs or you're better with when it's overhang. So I'm a loose very loose 511 but that's what okay. i like <laughs> uh, very good uh lead top rope sport traditional trad we call it in climbing oh i'd love to get into trad not yet though not <laughs> i have yet. to get better yeah. but i am top rope because mm-hmm. i feel safe on a top rope we do try to leave some slack so that we're not pulled off but um i try and lead for a few years um but it's so scary. You guys are doing so great. <laughs> wow. It is scary, yeah. Yep. Yes. So yeah. I will do better with it in a few years. But um, 
Yeah, I I've used to climb a lot, and I think it's a very cognitive sport. It's a thinking sport, and it's a problem-solving yeah. sport, and I love that. And I feel like it relates to both skiing and especially mountain biking um, because it's not you, – you can't just close your eyes and, and run, for instance. Like you really have to exactly. think about what you're doing and, and your next move and your – uh, the process up the wall. So I do love that yeah, about climbing. reading techniques for sure. All of that. So yeah. tell me about your mountain biking since this is called Bike Talk with Dave. Well, I think it's very nice. What is mountain biking or the Bike Talk with yes. Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I would assume you've been shredding Revelstoke, which is a um, mountain biking mecca in the summer. Yes, exactly. I had never touched a mountain bike before Revelstoke because it's... um. It's so big over there, and when people talk about it, there's sparkles in their eyes. So you're like, oh my god, I need a mountain bike right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had a very great setup at the time where I had an old truck that was almost going to die on me every second. So what I could do with that truck is put all the bikes in the back and the people in the back of the truck, and we would go up. It's called Boulder. So we would go up that mountain and shuttle our way. So one person was going to drive up and down and everybody was going to bike down from the top. And it's, you, you kind of feel like you're in the, in the older days where everything was kind of like, not allowed, but nobody was very controlled. It was mm -hmm. just like kind of a more hip hop scene. I don't know how about adjective to use, but more rap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So that's something I really like, getting all the friends in the truck and doing very gnarly rides up and down the mountains on the bike and you put your music on and very, very nice. People still do it uh, always. So if you go up to Revelstoke, once again, talk to locals, try to get right up the shuttle bus, but shuttle bus, shuttle somebody. <laughs> shuttle truck, yeah. Shuttle truck of a friend. And... Um, so I bought, I was working at Skookum, which is um, my favorite bike shop in Revelstoke. And I got a deal on a very nice bike. And that's how I started. And uh, I took it down also to the east part. So do you know Mont Saint-Anne? Oh, we, oui. The World Cup. Exactly. Yeah, in the summer. So I rode there a lot when I live um, back home. Beautiful mm. place. Very nice. And the thing about Mont Saint Anne is not they don't maintain it that much. So some people hate that, but I think in some way it's kind of fun because it makes it very hard and kind of like if you were going to a mountain um, by your own, it wouldn't be and it wouldn't be taken care of. So sure, yeah, I don't mind it. You're right. Much. Wouldn't be well groomed. Exactly. It would just be what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That is pretty cool. Do you feel like it um, gives you the same feeling as skiing? Um, Kind of. In the same range of where you go fast and there's actually big consequences. I think in biking right now for me, since it's more new to me, there's higher consequences than skiing. So I could slip out without without kind of being able to prevent it sometimes. So I always wear my back and chest protection oh. because 
I feel like bike is a bit more unpredictable and you have less, um, for my part, I have less uh, um, quick stop. So if I see something coming towards me, I panic a bit. <laughs> so uh, I do have went over the handlebars a few times. and But I, I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> right, right. We all, we definitely all have. If we're pushing our envelope, we definitely have gone over the handlebars. I would say, though, mm -hmm. well, I don't know. You do land on rocks. Um, I'm comparing that with a 60-foot booter landing on the flat. <laughs> and I, I think yes. that, to me, feels a little bit worse than uh, going over the handlebars. I think the part where it hurted the most is that when I overshoot that kicker, I did spend a good two point something seconds in the air. So I had time to see that I was going to die. And that's what I thought. I was like, oh my God. But in biking, it's so sudden. So I feel like when I bike, I will fall and it will be instant. No time to realize. You're just like, ah. But also, I'm not doing the jumps yet like some friends do. That is amazing. Um, so when you kind of go in the bike park, wow. So I feel like... If you do stuff like this or like the rampage, then you get the mm. same feeling with enormous consequences. <laughs> so right. it's all about your level for sure. A big respect and admiration for people who do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even hit the big uh, tabletop jumps and I've been mountain biking for a thousand years. Um, I'll hit bigger ski jumps than I will a jump on my bike, which is kind of interesting. But um, I, I do get... I get a very similar feeling on a great mountain bike trail that I do on a great ski run. And uh, I've just always found that interesting. I would say that those two things are like two of my favorite things. Skiing, even though I live in Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines. <laughs> um, a lot of people who ski also mountain bike and a lot of people who ride mountain bikes also ski, which I think it's interesting. Yeah, it might actually, from my perspective, be... So how I feel about it is that when I would go, when I would start skiing and then end up in summer, and when I didn't have bike or climbing at the time, I would be feeling quite lost because I was missing something, missing a feeling, which you're almost kind of, not addicted to, but you're always chasing. Mm -hmm. So just like, I think it's called a runner's high, right? Yeah. So... So I believe that people just chase that and end up doing a million sports, which I think that's what happened to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that sums <laughs> just, it up great, yeah, perfectly. Can you ever see combining your expedition leading um, skills and experiences with something in the summer with rock climbing and mountain biking? Yes. I actually have a project that I think is very interesting because it, I mixed it all together so I do also do ice climbing so that makes it a bit easier to do with the winter mm -hmm. um, winter expedition so it was actually in oh am I gonna say it right <laughs> Kyrgyzstan Kyrgyzstan <laughs> oh no yes <laughs> oh my god I was trying to see the, the letters and say it in English and I was like oh I'm lost but yes and it was a in the glaciers and in the high top mountains and it was like a fat bike expedition during the winter um, so 
that's required a lot of flexibility because you can't fat bike in any condition if you want to actually move. Um, so we had to wait for like the perfect kind of perfect season and then in that perfect season wait for the perfect week so it's a lot of like you wait around and when it's go you go and the goal was just to do a few peaks and instead of walking skiing you would be a fat bike probably with a poke behind wow. but it turned out to be so hard to plan meaning that so much flexibility that you have to focus on that and sometimes it's it's hard when um you don't have when you're not a pro so you don't have a stream of income coming from that you're actually paying money <laughs> mm-hmm. so for me i had to pass unfortunately due to um just to financial because it's wasn't sustainable for me to do that um but i'm looking forward to maybe do it later for sure when uh, either I get um, strongest sponsors or people who wants to finance finance the trip, but uh, I think that would have been super rad. So we would have mixed it with rock climbing, skiing the peaks, fat bike. It sounds super nuts. It sounds super <laughs> but awesome. But it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds like a, a awesome trip, uh, combining all those things. Um, well, and you're definitely young. Like, I don't think you have to complete everything by next fall. Like, you've got a whole life ahead of you <laughs> to to combine all those things together. And, and I think you're a, a talented young lady and have uh, a bright future ahead of you with such an incredible resume and and already a a huge bank of experiences. Like, I I, I would not be surprised after I read the kind of stuff that you've already done, and then I asked how old you are, if you had said 50. Now I'm looking at you and I can tell you're not 50, but um, like those are incredible experiences and uh, super fun to, um, to hear about and learn about and learn how you got, um, you got into them, which is it's fun. Basically, you know, like you said, yes. I just said yes. And I think what helped me the most and what I would say if people ask me, like, how did you get all those opportunities? Because I I don't think I got lucky. There's always a bit of luck here and there, of course. But it was all about my social circle. So when I first did the expedition and the Arctic, I made friends with the guide, Saha. And then I texted Saha after the trip and I said, hey, Saha, what if I bring you six people next March? And then Saha said, sure. <laughs> what is that girl talking about? And I did bring six people. And then she was like, oh, Annabelle's actually a good friend. And she brought business. So then I got on the role as Arctic novice guide learning with Saha. So it's all about just being nice, I feel like, and being and not being scared of asking um, and bringing something to the table also. So, yeah. Just be friendly with your community and it will all pop out. Mm. That's what happened for me, for my experience. Mm. I love it. Well, listen, how, how does somebody connect with you and follow you? What, what are your best forms of uh, media, social media? Yes. So I'm on all the platforms, um, the most common platforms right now. So on Instagram, it's Anabi Scooby. And I always answer if I receive a message. 
And then you can find the page um, from the expedition, which is super simple, arctic.expedition. So if you're interested, and you can find a link in the bio on board our page for more information on maybe joining the the next training up in Nunavut, seeing how the prices are, what it actually entails, and how many days. And otherwise, I'm on YouTube and TikTok, and you can find a lot of things on YouTube about um, little snippets of what happened in the past years. So it's quite a, it will give you a big picture for sure. Would people on YouTube look for Anna B. Scooby or Annabelle Santere? And you should say that, not me. <laughs> well, you can, Anabi Scooby is on, um, is my name on every platforms. But if you write Annabelle Santerre, it will also load up. Um, but Anabi Scooby is a bit easier for sure. Well, Anna, what a pleasure to, to meet you, to talk to you, to hear about your experiences. I hope our paths can cross again on some chairlift somewhere. And um, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to learn how to slide a rail on my skis. I'm not having very good luck at it. But um, <laughs> maybe you can uh, help me do that at some point. But I can definitely help you. <laughs> I, would, I would love that. So look for um, Annabelle Santere. Sant- I, you roll your R and I can't get that. Um, um Facebook, Instagram, YouTube connect with, uh, with you and follow your super exciting expeditions and winter fun winter fun absolutely winter fun thanks tons for being on Bike Talk with Dave I really appreciate it of course thanks for having me it was such a pleasure I loved meeting you on the chairlift and meeting you all over again on this podcast Well, I hope you enjoyed meeting Annabelle. I'd encourage you to follow her adventures on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or whatever. Just look for Anna B. Scooby or Google Annabelle Santeri. And hey, why not click on her website at AnnabelleSanteri.com and say yes and sign up for some Arctic training. Their next trip is in March. What a great spring break trip. I also want to thank you for tuning in to Bike Talk with Dave. If you like the show, you can support it by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. And of course, please share it with your friends. And if you'd like to support the show financially and help improve this podcast, you can look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. Or if you want to keep it simple, you can hit me on Venmo at David-Mabel. If you do, I'll be happy to send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. There's a link to buy me a coffee in the show notes. If you want a real piece of history, put your order in for an original limited edition Bike Talk with Dave hat. Just shoot me 25 bucks on Venmo and I'll send you a hat. I'll be ordering them from our friends at Bike Rags Apparel in mid-January, so get your order in soon. Thanks also to BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com is your one-stop shop for all kinds of cycling events as well as news, information, and trails in Iowa and around the Midwest. Every week, new events are added. Be sure and book BikeIowa.com and check back often. And finally, give Bike Talk with Dave a follow on Instagram and Facebook. I hope you have a great week. Keep the rubber side down.